Pearson is very pleased to sponsor this series of JogPod. Pearson provide a blend of content, curricula, assessment and training to make the teaching and learning of geography at GCSE and A-level more engaging and effective. For more information about our geography qualifications, please visit us at qualls.pearson.com forward slash geography or follow us on Twitter at edxl underscore jog. Welcome to JogPod. Today it's my great pleasure to be talking to Leanne Cherekjian and Simon Collis. Leanne, you've done all sorts. You led your school through the, the Eco Club, the Eco Schools Awards, and your school's got a green flag. You lead on embedding sustainable development goals, and that's across the whole of the curriculum. And you're also the leader of teaching, learning, and assessment for the total communication base at Kingsbury Green Primary School. And I'd like to talk a bit more about that because that fascinating looking at your YouTube channel but more about that later and Simon you're a curriculum lead at Emmaus Primary School in Sheffield you've written several books and articles for the GA so I've been I've been stalking you particularly including the book on investigating climate and biomes which fun it was a word I think that primary school teachers probably never came across until they changed the national curriculum. And, oh, code, what's a biome? We'd better get them reading that, unless you're a geographer and you'd come across it before. So it's hard to get more geographical than all of that. So we're in for a good time today. Thank you very much to Perry for joining me today, especially with everything else that's going on in your lives. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having us, John. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I think we've got, a, as I said, we've got a treat in store for some... But particularly, I think, primary school teachers, because we haven't done very many podcasts with primary school teachers. And I did spend some time researching both of you, and you've done some absolutely fascinating stuff. So, But I, I would like to start off with a couple of, of tricky questions, I think, really. I'm still on the, uh, the primary uh, geography committee for the primary geography quality mark. So here's a question because I've, I've seen a variety of different um, ways to approach geography. I'd like to just ask you a, a little bit about your thoughts about geography in primary school, especially when many teachers are non-geographers. Some of them probably haven't come across geography since they were at school and maybe didn't have a very good experience when they were there. So for both of you, really, and it's a double question, what do you think makes good geography? And how do you address that improving geography across school when you've got a range of expertise with some people who really don't know what geography is? Yeah. So the first thing, sort of having a range of expertise, um, I think primary school teaching, everybody is an expert in something and everybody is sort of has their strengths and weaknesses in other areas. So I think that's where working as a team is really important um, utilising the sort of geography specialist within a school um, or any other subject because you can't be as equally strong in every single subject so that's part one to your question um, <laughs> what makes good geography something that is going to engage the children something that is relevant to sort of the world around them and the world that they're going to be living in as they grow older I think sort of uh, ideas of climate change ideas of um 
sort of the interaction with the with our space and place around us is just so important at the moment i think that's a key about space and place because that's what makes the geography for me it comes yeah. through margaret roberts's writing and it comes through the the work that well the people like paul rowans and and Stephen Scoffham have done in, in their book on, on primary geography. Would you agree, Leanne? Yeah, definitely. I think um, good geography is something that um, is quite relevant, as Simon said, and um, it's something to encourage children to sort of develop their curiosity um, and get them fascinated about the world around them. Um, and I think uh, critical thinking plays a big part of it as well, because we want them to be sort of critical and to ask um, valuable questions. So um, I definitely agree. And I just wanted to jump in on the bit about um, different <laughs> d different um, experts and drawing on skills that people have um, within their team. So obviously you're not going to be um, knowledgeable about everything, but it's about knowing who can support where and sort of delegating people who have got the passion to take the lead on that subject. Your expertise runs right the way across the whole range of, of areas at primary. So, because I, I know you're, you're not the geography lead anymore. No, not find that out. <laughs> <laughs> But you do lead your school's additional resource provision for hearing impaired. And I do want to come back to that because there's some fascinating stuff there. But you've, you've continued to run the Eco Club and you also lead on embedding the sustainable development goals in the curriculum, which I think is a really tricky ask. It's tricky to, to get the geography in because it isn't always there, but, it, but it's also something where you're faced with um, some quite difficult concepts to, to embed throughout the curriculum. How have you, how have you done it? So it's, um, it's been quite a difficult job um, to, to get everything in there. Um, I Should we talk about the Eco Club first or yeah. should we talk about the art? Because you did mention quite a few things there. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'll talk about the Eco Club. So it started off... Um, in 2015, 2014-15, that academic year. Um, and it was sort of in conjunction with us being a um, global learning programme expert centre. So I was the lead practitioner for that. And it sort of just started off as something on the side. Um, you know, I wasn't really planning the sessions. It was just somewhere for us to, to talk about the environment and to get kids interested in geography and then I sort of started to take it on a bit more seriously and I thought about you know what could we do around school that would help school um, so it has been quite difficult to make sure it's you know fully geography all the time and sometimes it is just us in a room having a chat and talking about um, sort of current affairs things that they've seen in the news um, and then other times it's sort of more structured projects and I just kind of make sure I draw on the children's knowledge. So I kind of use what they've done um, in their lessons to, to learn from each other, because I've got children from reception all the way up to year six. So it's quite a nice space for them to take the lead and learn from each other and just sort of make a change. How have you dealt with the critical thinking aspects of that? Because I'm sure that will come into that too. Yeah, so um, critical thinking 
it's really um, I get them to ask questions of each other. So we sort of answer a question with another question and I get them to try and think a little bit deeper about it. So um, one of the recent projects that we've done is thinking about plastic pollution and what we can do to make a difference because obviously um, plastic pollution got quite a lot of press just before the whole coronavirus pandemic started um, and it was in the news and there were lots of documentaries um, the children had watched um, the David Attenborough documentary there was um, another one on Netflix about Blue Planet Blue Plastic Planet or something like that um, and so I got them to think about what they saw to ask questions about the impact that it might have um, and to think about what steps they could take to do something for themselves and their, their society so that's kind of how we got started um, lots of question writing on boards getting the older children to support the younger children with answering questions and asking questions um, and I'm just sort of the facilitator I really let them take the lead on it. So this is at the club that's how, how you've got the younger ones and the older ones all together it yeah. gives you that flexibility to do that. Yeah because I don't want it to be somewhere that you know, it's, it's me just giving them more information. It's their lunchtime. They're giving up their time to be in the club. So I want it to be um, something where they feel like they can contribute and they can lead um, because obviously they wouldn't come if it was another lesson or if it was yeah. boring. <laughs> Geography is never boring. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> I didn't say boring, did I? <laughs> what do you do, Simon? Do you have, um, do you have an eco club? We don't know. <laughs> um, no, the, I suppose the nearest thing we have, um, we are a P for C gold school, which is philosophy for children, which relates nicely to what Leanne was saying about critical thinking and being a facilitator. So we uh, sort of facilitate philosophical inquiries and part one of our sort of themes and threads within that is um, to do with stewardship and to do with um, kind of sort of um, looking outward current affairs uh, around the world as soon as you start looking at stewardship you come back to what Leanne was talking about with with plastics and, and where is the problem when we throw our stuff away there was plenty of stuff work done in when I first joined the GA about where's away thrown away where's away where do we where do we take our waste and all sorts there you can follow up that's geographical what sort of things do does your club do apart from that, Leanne? What uh, what do you and what do you think the young people get out from get out of it from being involved? We've done quite a lot of projects in the past. Um, I try to link them into the SDGs where possible. Um, so a few examples of things that we've done is um, composting food waste from the kitchen. Um, we've also encouraged the use of water bottles, so getting every child in school to bring their own water bottle rather than having um, one from the canteen or a plastic one, which they'll just throw away at the end of the day. We're encouraging them to wash them out, reuse them. Um, we've also done things like um, campaigning to get rid of plastic glitter and switch to biodegradable glitter. Um, and that was quite fun because we did um, a, a car wash. <laughs> we washed the teachers' cars to raise money to, to buy the glitter because obviously biodegradable glitter costs a lot more than the traditional plastic glitter. So that was part of their sort of hard work 
um, because our school values are empathy, agility and hard work. So I try and link whatever we do to those core values. So empathy, thinking about others, concern for society. Um, hard work is actually just getting your hands dirty and doing it. And agility is thinking of clever ways to do it. So that's what we like to try and do. Um, we've also done things like, you know, saving energy, making sure that um, lights are off, projectors are off when they're not in use. Um, we've written letters to supermarkets to get them to switch their 5P bags to um, fabric bags for life. Because we said, well, what's the point of just paying 5P and still getting plastic bags? That, that doesn't help. <laughs> that plastic still ends up somewhere. So um, that was quite successful. Um, we've been recycling paper. Um, what else have we been doing? Um, making sure that they always question where their fish comes from, if their fish is sustainably sourced, all of that sort of things. So we've done quite a bit. Um, and obviously, you know, the aim is to develop uh, responsible global citizens. Um, and I do think the children really enjoy being in the club because they feel like they've got that important role and they feel like their voices are heard um, because as I said from the beginning it's not me telling them what to do it's me sort of planting a few little seeds and then seeing where their discussion goes and seeing which project they'd like to do and, and how they'd like to do it so it's all about getting them to problem solve and getting them to think about what they can do because if they're passionate and invested in it, they're more likely to, to see the project through and, and to feel that sense of um, achievement when they've been successful. What are the parents like with this? Do, do you get parents coming back and saying, I'm fed up of Rachel telling me to not keep buying plastic bottles or anything? Or, or are they all on board? The parents are all on board. Um, like I said, we've been doing it for five years. So I always put whatever project we're doing, it goes in the newsletter. Um, the children lead their own assemblies about it as well. So their parents get to see the assemblies. Um, I haven't had anything negative. Um, the only one thing that I would say is I like to rotate the children. And um, one parent called me and said that his daughter came home from school crying. She was in tears. And I said, oh, God, what happened? What, what? And, and um, she said, oh, oh, it's the end of her term as an eco-champion. Is there any way that you can extend it? And I was just like, um, OK, well, you know, in order to be fair to the other children, I do have to <laughs> rotate. But I can make sure that um, she trains the next person in her class to do as good a job as she did so that's kind of how I worked my way around it but no everyone's on board everyone supports it we do sort of um, little activity um, events throughout the year um, so for example with the glitter we did um, a sale so we used all of the old plastic glitter and made like candle holders from them because we said okay we've got this old glitter but we can't just throw it in the bin because then it's just gone to waste and we haven't used it so we thought about ways of using it and selling um, the candle holders that we made and using mm. that profit to buy the biodegradable glitter along with washing cars and things like that so um, the parents obviously see our posters and they engage in those events they buy cakes from us they um, donate money so they're really supportive of it sounds amazing it, it does actually <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody from slt came and said Hmm. Um, and how successful do you think it's been? Have you evaluated the impact? 
you've probably got halfway towards the answer anyway with what you've just said. But <laughs> do you formally evaluate, or is it is it something that you do because you all think it's a good thing to do, and you don't spend time evaluating it in that sense? We do a bit of both. So um, we do pupil voice. So I always kind of ask them how they found the projects, what could be done better, what have they learned, all of that sort of stuff. Um, But then it's partly because I enjoy the club and I just do it because I want to do it. So, you know, there's a little bit of both. I mean, if I didn't do it, the children would come knocking on my door and want to do it anyway <laughs> so you know the number of applications that I get every single year increases um, and I generally just take about you know 20 um, but I try and get one from every year and then a backup one um, but the numbers have increased I think I got about 73 applications for this academic year so thinking about where it started and where it is now um, yeah I don't think the children would let me stop doing it <laughs> Blimey. that sounds really good well, I'm going to ask you one last difficult question on this one, I think. Do you keep a focus on the geography or is it more led by the, the children's desires for where they want to go with something that's um, to do with the environment? Do you, do you come back to let's keep a focus on place and space and the geography? I don't, in a formal sense, I kind of let them take the lead because I want them to do it because they are strongly passionate about it so it is more so about the environment and linked to sort of current affairs things they hear on news around to do with climate change or melting ice caps or um, deforestation so it is mainly linked to those topics it's not formal in the sense that I focus on you know core geography themes but I do try to to weave it in where I can Um, I think the importance is that you know they're wanting to make a change Um, it's you know they're the next generation it's their future and I think getting them passionate and getting them feeling like they can make a difference um, is something that's important to continue Mm. doing. I wasn't thinking so much of of formal pro-geography just if there's something about deforestation then hmm where whereabouts is that let's go and have a look that sort of level of geography yeah we do that (laughs) (laughs) that's what i was thinking (laughs) because that puts the geography into it if that was going into a quality mark submission then you'd be saying that's got some geography in there and that that's what makes it interesting but sometimes that's missed in in the reviews um uh, um, because i've got my geography head on of course i was going to ask about that (laughs) <laughs> and Simon, <laughs> you've been, you've obviously been doing a review of the geography at your place because you've been curriculum lead for the last couple of years. So what's that involved? Well, I, I'm assuming you've, you've reviewed your curriculum and, and, and refreshed it in the light of reflecting on what geography was that you were doing, what you want to do. And you've gone to a subject specific approach, haven't you? Yes. Yes, so we used to do cross-curricular topics and we've moved um, towards doing sort of subject-specific. We're trying to find a new word instead of topics, but units of study. Um, (laughs) uh, And that's mainly because um, the children didn't know they were doing geography and history. So um, they they didn't do geography and history, they did topic. Um, and, um, And also to make sure that we are... Um, getting the coverage 
of, of the national curriculum as well. What were the key decisions then that you made? So you're looking at it and you think, hmm, we're going to move from um, this sort of cross-curricular approach. What underpinned that? If somebody else was going to go through that same process with their school, what do you think are the key markers that you you set down as you went through that decision? The first, the first um, sort of marker is the was the national curriculum. So to make sure that we had the coverage of every single unit of study. Um, then what we did was we looked at ways that we could revisit knowledge and skills in a different way throughout the children's time at school. So we imagined what the geography and history and every other subject that the children were learning as they went through their time at school. And then how could we build on sort of a small uh, understanding to a more complex understanding by the time they leave? Um, and that was very much at the forefront of our mind. So that's progression. You begin to think about how to build the, the development of geographical knowledge and skills and conceptual understanding over time. So I'm assuming then you revisit certain things rather than it being just a, a blob where you do a, a bit of geography here. in Yes. Uh, yes. And I think that was one of the um, challenges of how we studied previously so for example the children would do a topic on rivers in year three four and um and then where do you go with that and it's quite an isolated blob of knowledge we kind of we changed our thinking to creating a system of knowledge so now in year one two um the children learn a lot about islands and um all the vocabulary that comes along with with uh, sort of coastlines and islands then in year three four we're talking more about rivers um and um we look at Sheff the sheffield floods uh, and how there's an interaction between a human and physical environment how how we use the land makes uh flooding more severe and how if we could change our land use it might mitigate um flooding in the future and then in year five six we look at new orleans as an example of the interaction between flooding land use uh, and also natural disasters as well and that's just sort of one example of how we sort of we a bit like leanne did with her uh, eco group set the seeds and let them grow over time do you link then the geography with the history there? Because you could look at the Sheffield floods when Meadow Hall was flooded. You could go all the way back to Dale Dyke and the bursting of the dam there. And then... We do a little bit, but we've tried to sort of keep things quite separate. The nearest we do is we do a local area study where we look at the interaction of how... Uh, how the local area which is Wyburn of in Sheffield has changed over time um, and that links to uh, the uh, the hunting lodge at Manor, the Manor Lodge where Mary Queen of Scots was kept imprisoned for uh, 14 years in the fit in the fifth sort of 16th century. How does yours work Leanne? Do you do um, a cross-curricular approach or do you two subjects? We teach subjects, we teach them um, history and geography separately, but they're kind of, it's called wider curriculum, but we do explicitly say what's history and what's geography, um, and we do try to link the topics where possible, so um, for example year five are doing rivers and they're looking at 
the River Thames, but then in their history topic after half term, they're going to be looking at the history of the River Thames. So kind of linking them um, together in that sense. Right. Yes, I get a picture of that. Thank you. Simon, do you, we talked earlier about critical thinking. Do you do an inquiry approach? How, how do you ask the questions of the students that determines the, the curriculum? Uh, Part of it is through P4C, which is Philosophy for Children. So we run uh, child-led uh, inquiries where you give the children a stimulus and then go through a question uh, a question process where you uh, generate questions. That's what I wanted mm. to say. Um, <laughs> uh, so you generate these questions and then have a peer-led discussion. Um, we also run some inquiries, but we've had to sort of scale down the size of our inquiries as we've re reviewed the curriculum. Um, so, for example, in my class, I teach Y34, a mix. And um, for our Rivers topic, we looked at um, the uh, flooding in med sort of the Medal Hall area in 2019. And then we looked at... Uh, land use and then we uh, designed rain planters rain garden planters sorry um uh, so that you could slow the flow and we looked at sustainable urban uh, drainage systems as well i think there's always a trade-off if you go into like as leanne you were talking about with critical thinking or you go into an inquiry approach it always takes longer and then you're thinking crikey i've got i've got all this to fit in where do I get the balance right? And I, I think that's a tricky one for teachers. You want to spend more time on critical thinking and you want to spend more time on developing an inquiry approach because that's what makes young people more, uh, more curious about the world, I think. And, and, and I think it introduces uh, relevance for them. Well, I think so anyway. Um, my eldest lad said to me one time, he says, no offence, Dad. I know what you do, but I'm not going to take geography. I can't see the point. And uh, he, for him, the geography was quite bitty. He didn't see a sequence to it at all because of how he experienced it. If we come back to the sustainable development goals now, um, I, I, that'd be interesting, Leanne, to, to ask you about how you've linked the sustainable development goals to topics, because you've got explicit links, but... I suppose, first of all, it'd be interesting just to ask you about what the sustainable development goals are. Because I know there's a lot of them so we, could, we could spend all night on that one. Um, <laughs> and what are, they, what are you trying to achieve with them in school? So I'll just quickly explain what they are and then I'll go into to what we're trying <laughs> to achieve. So you like to ask multiple questions at once. <laughs> so um, the sustainable development goals are um, 17 goals that were decided upon by the United Nations in 2015 um, and they are set to hopefully be achieved by 2030 we hope. Um, and the goals are on all sorts of different things, um, just to give you a flavour, some of them about um, in improving healthcare, um, ending poverty, making more sustainable cities, um, reducing climate change, thinking about life in water, um, responsible consumption of our resources, um, reducing inequalities, uh, zero hunger, that's all that I can think of for now, but it covers quite quite a range. Um, 
and the way that I've tried to link them in, um, I haven't linked all 17 to every single year group because that would be too much of a, a far stretch. But where I've seen the links, I've made them explicit. So, for example, um, I've linked the Harvest Festival um, and London for year one with supporting zero hunger and thinking about, um, you know, collecting uh, food for food banks and making sure everyone's got enough to eat. Um, thinking about people in London who don't have much to eat um, and what we can do to support them. Um, obviously encouraging the children not to waste their own food that they have. Um, I've linked oceans and continents in year two to plastic in the oceans um, and we've used the text one plastic bag there um, and that obviously links to life below water which is goal number 14. Um, year three are thinking about um, climate change with regards to the arctic circle um, and polar bears with melting ice caps so they're thinking about what they can do for climate action which is goal number 13. Um, and we're going to write letters to our local MP to, to do something because they want them to, to think about climate change um, more so because it was on the radar before the pandemic came about, but we feel like it's been pushed on a back burner. So we want to just draw that to their attention again. Rivers and the water cycle in year four. So we're thinking about life below water, which is goal 14, and then um, clean sanitation. Um, which is goal six. And then we're building on that in year five with the River Thames and thinking about sort of sanitation links to that, thinking about trade. Um, and obviously that links to history as well, um, because as, as I said, we were moving from geography to history for year five. Um, and year six biomes, we're thinking about um, palm oil, climate action, um, which is goal 13, and what they can do um, to support biodiversity um, and prevent deforestation. So we're thinking about um, writing again letters to companies to reduce their palm oil, for example, um, and just getting the children to think about kind of recycling paper and making sure they buy sustainable wood. So that's kind of a quick run through of how I've linked it. Linked it. Yeah, we could have had the whole podcast on that one, couldn't we, really? And I was just thinking there when you were talking about biomes and climate change, um, um, Simon, you ought to be sending your book over. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, do you do anything on, on um, sustainable development goals? Not explicitly, um, but we look at... A sort of similar topic we look at something called plastic planet is the name of our topic um where we're looking at the great pacific garbage patch and the north atlantic garbage patch and kind of well i, I still struggle almost to get my head around about this accumulation of plastic in oceanic mm. currents um and um we also have another topic in year five six um called frozen kingdom where we're looking at the biomes and the climate zones um, and looking about how human actions are changing our, our polar regions. Um, so we, we don't make that explicit link. Um, we're also a faith school. Um, we're a Catholic and Church of England combined. Um, so some of our sort of relate links to the sustainable development goals are also through sort of the faith-based element of the, uh, of the school as well. It's just hard to fit everything in. Uh, 
isn't it? Well, and Leanne, you just gave us a, a really quick run through it. Well, yeah, it's just a skim across the top. And the other thing about it is that Agenda 2030 is much more disability inclusive. So, Leanne, how, how have you tackled that? Because that's your area of expertise as well. Another one on top of all the others. Yes, I've got many hats on at school. (laughs) So um, our school, we've got an ARP, so we've got 18 children who are deaf in the um, provision. And um, we like to make our school kind of aware of our children. So they're included in everything that we do. They lead on assemblies as well. um, And they've got equal access to clubs too. So um, we've got eco champions that are children from the ARP we've also got school council members from the ARP so it's um it's just embedded in our ethos so you know as I said um empathy is one of our values and um to be able to kind of truly welcome children and to understand them you've got to be with them and you know embrace every part of them so we do a lot on um deafness as an example, um, we've got Deaf Awareness Week that we do. I've got the sign stories that I've made now um, that I've filmed in lockdown, which I'm sending to all the classes to do. Um, I'm kind of using my my fame and my popularity from Eco Champions um, because obviously all the children in school know me from that. Um, they even know me as e- Eco Champion person or... Um, TCB which which we call the total communication base so sometimes if I do an assembly on um, deaf awareness they might come to me and start talking to me about rainforests because they know that I'm that person so it's quite nice that I've sort of used that profile to to bring in the children Um, and so yeah we've got sign classes um, children learn sign um, we've got at least one child from the ARP in every single year group so all the assemblies, all the lessons are signed. So our children are just exposed to it and it's normal. It's normal for them. They don't feel any different. I think it's wonderful. And you just slipped very quickly through your YouTube channel, which I've, uh, I've watched several of now, beginning to learn yeah. some of the signs. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we'll put, well, we'll definitely put a link into that so that other teachers who've, who've got students like that at their schools can, can use them because they, they just love it. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. That was my little lockdown project that I started in lockdown volume one um, back in May. I was looking for resources for the children um, that they could access. And there wasn't really much out there that wasn't subtitled or it was in full BSL. So I just thought, let me let me do it myself. I've got loads of free time now now that we're not allowed to go anywhere. So um, it's, it's been really good. Um, I've got messages from teachers across the country saying that they're using it for their students as well. So that's, you know, everyone's just doing their bit. Yeah, well, we'll certainly put the link into that. Um, Thank you. Because I think it, it really was good and it's not geography, but it was fantastic education. And I'm sure we'll put some geographical bits and pieces in as you go. You'll have to We've find got it. Dear Greenpeace on there. That was the first one that I filmed. So there's a little link. <laughs> oh, I haven't watched that one. I, I watched The Worry and then one or two others. So I know how to sign Worry now. <laughs> Simon, we talked at the beginning about what quality geography looks like. And we just mentioned that <laughs> with the last of those, um, those stories. So I just... 
I want to come back to that one as we're, as we're heading towards the finish of this, because geography isn't a simple subject. Alistair Bonnet's written a whole book on what is geography, and it's a fascinating read. I'm just finishing Alan Parkinson's Why Study Geography, another excellent read. But there's, it's just packed full of, of concepts and ideas and processes. And if you look at different geographers writing, they have different paired concepts. So it's hard to understand. But I know that you've been working on looking at the use of models to help with understanding, because it is difficult. It is. I think one of the challenges within geography as well is um, considering about how these processes and ideas and concepts are quite abstract. And so within maths, um, since the new curriculum in 2013, uh, there was a lot of discussion about the concrete, pictorial and abstract idea. So we have the children use concrete manipulatives to um, process, different to conduct different mathematical processes. Um, and they move to pictorial and abstract, which is uh, written numbers and written equations. So we've kind of thought about how do we use these models or this idea of a model um, to, to show the children quite abstract ideas, things like erosion and deposition, surface runoff, tectonic plates, the formation of volcanoes. So one of the challenges, and I think that's where having a really good quality uh, subject specialist comes in um, thinking about how you can model this to the children uh, how do you tweak it to fit your learning objective so for example with erosion and deposition it's all about getting out the the play sand and the water and uh, modeling that and for just for an ex uh, for an example because we all like to get the sand out um, start when I did that the first time I used sort of trays um, and it just made a, a nice mess uh, so the when you do it again you think about how you can tweak it and you use a, a gutter and by using a gutter with a nice layer of sand and a, and a nice steady stream of water you can see the little particles of sand as they bob along and bob down uh, uh, as gravity sort of takes them further and erosion. Um, uh, and when you're talking about volcanoes um, and how they form, I've seen a, a, a model with different layers of chocolate. Um, and that's great for me anyway, because it's chocolate. But uh, by using a mixture of milk, dark and white chocolate, you can show how volcanoes change in shape uh, as, as they erupt over time. Um, and then you can eat the chocolate, which is always a bonus. And I'm sure, Leanne, that it's fair trade. <laughs> oh, good. Fantastic. <laughs> it feels like there should be an article coming here. Have you written anything yet, Simon, or is that still to come? Uh, not specifically on models, but I have done some uh, bits and bobs on rivers before and getting out the sand pits in year. Well, I've done it in year three, four, and I've taught it in year five, six as well. So any opportunity to get some sand pits out. I'm always trying to raid them from foundation, the poor things. <laughs> when I first started teaching, we had these huge desks with the lid that lifted off and below the desk was a sort of tin, like a sink affair with a hole at one end. So that was great for modelling streams and meanders and erosion. But as you say, it had to come out somewhere. I always came out the pipe at the bottom, so I was always getting into trouble with the, 
with the cleaners, lions being at it again. But it, it's that sort of modelling is what you need if you're trying to show change. Because young people don't necessarily understand change. Their window on life isn't long enough. They just see what they see. And if you ask them, how do you think it's going to change? They're, they're into a, an area, a quite unknown, difficult territory. Modelling, that sort of thing, I think, is a fantastic way of doing it. I, I agree. I think as well, sort of the idea of what I see in front of me wasn't always like like it is now. Um, it's quite a revolutionary idea. Uh, going for a walk in the, in the countryside or a local area and thinking the river didn't always follow this path. It finds the easiest way. Uh, is quite a, an abstract leap. So that sometimes the use of a model can help bridge that gap. Also, eminent geographers in their time got things completely wrong. So they postulate what happened. So before we thought about glaciation, people had all sorts of weird and wonderful ideas about how come the landscape was the shape it was. It took a while for for geographers to come to those sorts of conclusions. So it's it's good to give students the opportunity to, to think about and suggest their ideas. However bonkers the idea they are, because people in the past have put forward ridiculously bonkers ideas. I, I can't remember quite when Bishop Usher thinks that the, or thought that the world had started working back from, from the Bible, but I think he only gave us something along the lines of about 6,000 years. It's, uh, it's a tricky one. Uh, Modelling is tricky. You've also talked about leaving space for, for play and exploration in what you've done, Simon. And I'm sure you do the same, Leanne, given what you've been telling me about the Eco Club. So, I, Simon, you particularly, it led me to look at Sobel's seven play motifs. I, I hadn't come across that before. No, well, that was that was my lockdown project. Um, uh, I was at home and I have two young children and uh, it kind of prompted me to rediscover my local area. So that was more of a, a personal project. Um, but I came across it uh, with with a sort of a, a handy nudge from Sharon Witt, who has written some amazing stuff um that that just she's all about the wonder that you can find in geography and if you get the chance to read anything by her go for it because you'll learn something new every time um anyway um so uh i I just using these there are seven play motifs adventure fantasy and imagination animal allies uh maps and paths special places uh small world and hunting, hunting and gathering, and my eldest child is was four in the first lockdown, and loved her small world, loved her kind, was really developing an idea of her place in the world, and um, so we we went out into the local area with a, a sort of a strip of, of paper on which was sticky tape and then she could collect things as we went round and it was a real sort of window into sort of view of the world uh, and sort of to bring it back to a school context when we uh, uh, reopened in September we um, just take took a moment to pause and to reflect and instead of being playful in the traditional sense, we looked at how we could be playful 
with geographical language. We took the moment to pause and think, and we used uh, Robert McFarlane's um, landmarks, which is basically this massive dictionary of real uh, subject-specific uh, nat natural world and place specific language lots of uh, sort of hodgepodge of, of dialect words like um, I think it's Hertfordshire uh, has a word for a molehill is a wanty tump um, and uh, I think um, I think it's in Ireland they have a word for a bubble frozen in ice and it's a bleb so we took this idea um, of being playful with language and we gave the, the children the opportunity to notice something that they they'd never noticed before. Maybe nobody had ever noticed before um, and to explore and to be and to just sort of take that moment to reflect uh, as they were re-entering school for the first time since March. But then on a wider scale, so let's widen it back out again, Leanne, you do not just landscapes and little books you do links across the whole of the world you've got uh, a partner school in Pakistan yes we do um, so that's through the connecting classrooms through global learning program um, and we've managed to do one joint project so far which was um, in the autumn term with our year fours. So their year fours and our year fours both worked on the same project, which was thinking about um, rivers and um, sanitation and saving water and what we can do to um, save water. So they then presented, so they did um, information posters and they presented it on a Zoom call to each other. So that was really nice because it was a chance for them to share learning on a shared topic. But then sort of naturally they started to notice things about each other. So they were noticing their uniform um, and their uniform was different. And then they started talking about um, life in different countries. So it kind of started on um, a shared topic, but then it was just the children having a chat about each other and learning about the places that we come from um, and things like, you know, what 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 um, do you have for lunch or what time what time does your school day start and then they were so surprised that their day I think they said their day finished at half one or two o'clock and our children were like what what are we doing why are we still in school and then we had to talk about sort of um, the heat and temperatures and um, daylight and all that sort of stuff so we kind of just um, used that topic as a starting point and then it just sort of allowed them to have a natural conversation and to learn about different places from from children who live there so that was really nice and we've got more planned in we've got um, a year two project on plastic planned in and then we've got um, the year six one on the biomes hopefully coming up in spring two supposed to be this half term but obviously for, for reasons that we all know, we, we haven't managed to do that just yet, but hopefully spring to when, when we can get the children back in. I love that sort of work because it, there are so many more similarities than there are differences. And it starts to uh, break down that othering that we see sometimes, particularly in the press, um, in the media, about other people they're different and actually yeah. those sorts of explorations show that we all have a similar shared sense of humor we do similar things there might be there might be elements around it that are, are different but generally we're all the same 
across yeah. the planet, which is probably probably the spot to stop, I should think, because <laughs> you two have both got lots to prepare for and you've spent a long time sharing ideas with me and it's been a fascinating session. Is there anything I've forgotten that you'd like to add in? Um, I kind of just want to jump on the back of what you just said about, um, you know, us all being the same and, you know, we ultimately all live on the same planet. So, you know, everything that we can do, whether it's here or whether it's in Pakistan, whether it's in any other country around the world, it's all to think about, you know, us and our home on this planet. So I think that's a nice, nice place to stop. You agree with that, Simon? You're nodding. Yes, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that is a nice place to stop then. But thank you very much, both of you. It's been, as always, fascinating. And, uh, and thank you very much for your time because you're both really busy at the moment. Um, it, it's a tricky time for teachers. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening to today's JogPod. During these challenging times, don't forget the wealth of resources available on the GA website, geography.org.uk, including our teaching resources, which are currently free to access for all. You might also want to look at our Geography from Home section which aims to support teachers, parents and guardians whilst children and young people are learning from home. There's also a growing selection of web inquiries, online events and quizzes all available for free on our new sister site, geographyeducationonline.org.